Taylor Swift has taken the NFL to new heights. Plus, we have a deep dive on a bunch of NFL topics with the incomparable Andrew Brandt. It's Wednesday, September 27th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Travis Kelsey is a Super Bowl champion. He and his brother have one of the most popular podcasts in the world right now. He hosted SNL. He was on this podcast. But when it comes to growing his public profile, none of that compares to pairing up with Taylor Swift. The biggest music star of her generation was spotted cheering for Kelsey at the Chiefs win last Sunday over the Chicago Bears and walking through the stadium tunnels with Kelsey after the game. They're widely rumored to be dating. And now we have numbers to show just how powerful the Swift effect is. Data from Roku TV showed a 63% increase in female viewers aged 18 to 49 over the Chiefs' previous game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Following that game against the Bears, StubHub saw demand for Chiefs' home game tickets triple compared to the previous few days. The team sold more tickets in a single day than they have for any 24-hour period since the start of the season by more than double. And demand for Kelsey's jersey is up nearly 400% on Fanatics, vaulting him into the top five among all NFL players. The NFL is arguably the biggest media property in the world, but it's still no Taylor Swift. The Iowa Pork Producers Association has signed four Iowa State football players to NIL deals, and see if you can figure out why they chose these four. They are defensive end Miles Purchase, tight end Tyler Moore, defensive lineman Tommy Hammond, and linebacker Caleb Bacon. Miles Purchase... Tyler Moore, Tommy Hammond, Caleb Bacon. Purchase Moore, Hammond Bacon. They're the latest recipients of NIL deals to cash in on their names, joining Bijan Robinson, who is promoting Dijon Mustard. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup signed at least a dozen players with the last name Reese. And Louisiana Tech wide receiver DeColdest Crawford signed with SOS Heating and Cooling. If any of you do end up purchasing more ham and bacon, you can top it off with Sauce Gardner's Sauce Sauce. Up next, I spoke with Andrew Brandt, who has seen the NFL from every possible angle and has excellent insights on topics from the league's grievance against the NFLPA to private equity money knocking on the door of the NFL to what's wrong with the New York Jets beyond Aaron Rodgers' Achilles. That conversation is coming up right after this. All right. Very excited to be joined now by the executive director of sports law and business at Villanova, host of the sports business podcast and columnist for Sports Illustrated, Andrew Brandt. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, Owen. Good to be with you again. Great to have you again. So um, let's let's do a bunch of NFL topics that I want to hit on with you. Let's start with some but fairly recent news. The NFL has filed a grievance against the NFLPA saying that the NFLPA encouraged running backs to exaggerate their injuries for um, for contract leverage negotiation purposes. Uh, what are your thoughts here and how strong do you think the NFL's case is? Yeah, I mean, this continues the kind of uh, diaspora that's been going on for six months with the position of running back. You and I talked before, these guys have the shortest shelf life in all of the sport. They're not paid, they're valued when they're on their rookie contracts, but once they hit age 25, 26, they're kind of outsourced and they're downsized and they bring in another young, cheap running back to replace them. There are some outliers like Christian McCaffrey, but it's really unfortunate. And now... Because of everything we're talking about, the union made some comments. J.C. Treader, their president, 
that, yeah, maybe they should fake injuries. Maybe they should just sit around and be uh, upsetting to their teams and then the team will respond. Now we have this grievance you just mentioned. Listen, I think two things about this grievance. I don't know what they're trying to get out of it. Like, what if they win? The, the, then they can't fake injuries. I mean, I don't see the the goal of that. And the other re- the other reaction I have, Owen, is like, this is just rubbing their noses in it. This is just the NFL. Like, okay, pardon my French. We're screwing you on your contracts. We're not letting you get paid after age 25, 26. And now we're just going to discipline you or punish you for having the audacity to suggest there's a way to get paid in ways that we haven't paid you before. I don't get it. It's a nice little story for the NFL to, in my words, rub their noses in it. Uh, these poor running backs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the, that question of what they're trying to get out of it is is interesting, especially because, and we had Eli Manning on um, not too long ago. I asked him about all this stuff, especially related to Saquon Barkley. And he was saying like, look, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of, you got to get out there, play the best you can, get paid what you can get paid. And one thing that I feel that's hard to argue with. On the other hand, yeah, I mean, it's it's suddenly pretty rough for running backs. And I feel like they're there's running backs are some of the most legendary players you can think of when you think of, you know, the NFL history after quarterbacks. It's it's receivers and them, I'd say. Um at the same time, um, you know, if if this is what the market is is giving them, I don't quite know what they do. And yeah, the, the grievance kind of notwithstanding, but I feel like it's an unfortunate situation, but also yeah, if you're a running back and this is what teams want to pay you, I, I don't know what the recourse is other than, you know, negotiate something in the next CBA, but that's kind of a whole other can of worms. Yeah, you know, it's, again, not to brag, but I've had a couple running backs actually reach out to me and say, Andrew, what should we do? Like you said, what do you do? And I don't think there have been theories out there like, hey, get the NFL to treat running backs differently or, hey, get a performance fund just for running backs. It's not going to fly. It's not going to fly with the owners or the players. What I think the only way to address it is to get them in the NFL younger. That would mean readdressing the eligibility rule, which now requires three years removed from high school compared to, say, one year with the NBA. And then instead of approaching their second contract at age 26, they would approach their second contract at age 23 or two. Then teams, I think would have less trouble paying them because running backs are the gymnasts of the NFL. Their career's over for all intents and purposes in their mid-20s, except for the outliers I mentioned. But that's really the only way. you got to get into the earning, the high-earning part of their careers when they're in college. And that's why you see these, like, Bijan Robinson looks so great. Well, he's 21 years old, and in four years we'll be talking about, hey, they're not going to pay Bijan Robinson. <laughs> So it's just this whole cycle that's unfortunate for that position. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is a sort of a broader issue in sports. We certainly saw it in baseball around their last CBA negotiations, where as younger players get better, as training methods get more more able to bring these players up to to professional speed at those younger ages, um, and most sports are structured so that you don't get paid very much when you're, when you're in your first few years, it's your first real free agent contract or your your second contract, um, where you make the big money. 
And of course, people think, oh, athletes make all this money. You know, how could they possibly be, be complaining? And it's like, well, some of them have a real reason to. I mean, I think people say it's a zero-sum game with the salary cap. You could say all that, you know, but there does appear to be this bias against running backs. I mean, Nick Bosa is a defensive lineman, just got $31 million a year. The top running back gets $12, 13000000 million a year. I mean, it shouldn't be that skewed. But it is. All right. Hopping over to another topic. So the NFL is establishing an ownership committee to uh, figure out, you know, you know, are they going to start taking in private equity money? Is perhaps sovereign wealth funds or are they going to be allowed in the door? Um, and of course, this is in response to or as I, I think of it as in response to um, team valuations are so high that when you see like a Washington commanders go up for sale, you could probably count on, on your fingers how many people realistically can buy an NFL team under the current rules. So what do you think is going to be the upshot here? Well, that, that's the news. They actually formed a committee, Clark Hunt and Jimmy Haslam and Robert Kraft, a couple other owners to study these things, debt levels, equity interests, but mainly the interest to you and I is that eligible categories of investors. So eligible categories of investors to this point have meant individuals. There's no corporate investment in the NFL like there is in the NBA, for instance. And corporate investment could mean private equity, it could mean hedge funds, but more importantly, it could mean sovereign wealth funds. So I think they're eventually going to allow that because of the reality you just talked about. Six billion for the commanders, which bested four point six billion the year before for the Broncos, which more than doubled two point two billion two years before for the Carolina Panthers. So you see where it's going, and we're running out of multi-billionaire individual owners. Oh, and I talked to a friend who was asked to join the Washington Commanders Investment Group. I'm from that area, and he said, "I got this prospectus in front of me, and it's basically they want a hundred million dollars." for uh, some good tickets. <laughs> I mean, that's what I get out of it. That's basically what I would get out of it. I'm like, yeah, and that'll get you zip right. in terms of ownership cred. So that's where we're going. I think, you know, institutional money would probably start with PE funds and there'll be some limits like the NBA says you can have 30% of overall purchase price from institutional money and no more than 20% from the single firm. So I think that's where the NFL is looking. Yeah, no, we're not going to have a sovereign wealth fund owning an NFL team or a private equity fund. But with these massive amounts of purchase price, you're going to have to have investment beyond these billionaires. So yes, could the Qatari Investment Authority, which has 5% now of the NBA's Wizards and the NHL's Capitals? Yeah, those kind of, there's 11 trillion out there in sovereign wealth funds there are going to be some investment there. So I think this is a big change for the NFL to get away from this solo individual thing. And they have to. The yeah. money's just too big right now. Right. Yeah. And you hit on a couple of things that I, I think are key to this. Um, one is that, yeah, I think private equity and sovereign wealth funds, you know, piles of money that are seeking value, essentially value that grows. Um, they're going to be important because, yeah, what is the point of owning 2% of a football team? I mean, maybe it feels great to have that team, but yeah, you get some tickets, you get to sit in the nice suites, all stuff that you could probably accomplish for tens of thousands of dollars, as opposed to hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and yeah, so yeah, the it's hard to mention sovereign wealth funds without bringing up the the Qatari authority and the, uh, the public investment fund in Saudi Arabia. Um, 
there's there's been a fair amount of consternation about that you know Middle East money coming into American sports and European sports. It also feels like that door is open, and right now the NFL can still make its rules on this, but it, it feels like it's going to be hard to keep those out um, just because there, there is so much money and it's, it's interested in coming in. Yeah. When they, I, I use the words and I, in a piece I actually wrote as a guest columnist for FOS um, that the Saudis bought golf. And what they did with that was also get a foothold into American sports. And I think it's going to grow. And this idea of sports washing, we can all kind of joke or sneer at it, but it's happening. And buying golf gives them a little bit of more credibility, a little bit less antagonism towards the money that comes from there. And that will continue in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Um, all right. Hopping over to uh, a few other topics. The unavoidable Taylor Swift um, is now kind of the hot new thing in the NFL. Uh, just any thoughts on you know that, that phenomenon? I don't want to be that guy, but I'm the business of football guys. So I'm like a little bit wonders if this is real, because this has been huge for business, the business of sports media, the business of Taylor Swift, the business of Jason, I'm sorry, Travis Kelsey. In terms of two brands that didn't need more attention, the NFL and Taylor Swift, they're getting it. So Taylor Swift has all the demos, all the Swifties, you know that. But does Taylor Swift really have hardcore football guys? Well, now she might. And the NFL, they have the guys, they have all the demos. Do they really have young girls and Swifties? Now they might. And Travis Kelsey's getting millions of followers and Fox is getting more women watching that game than any game in history. It was a blowout. I mean, it's like if you're cynical, you're like, this is a business transaction. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that love is in the air. Uh, Just hopping kind of back over to... The, the NFL and its players other than Travis Kelsey. Uh, are you expecting normal levels of player movement around this trade deadline? Or are there reasons to think that um, we, we could be seeing, you know, elevated or, or less than usual? A little more. I mean, we, uh, they moved it back, back in my day when I was at the Packers, it was like early October. Now, I think this started with COVID. It's now the end of October, which gives teams a little more to assess whether there are, you know, buyers or sellers, whether they're going to go for it. Uh, I think we've seen this in past few years, and this league tends to be copycats. Team like uh, Eagles with Howie Roseman have made a ton of trades, so you see more teams getting involved in trades. 49ers, a big trading team, have had a lot of success. Uh, So I think we'll see some. Yeah, I just think it's tough in football because you don't have training camp. You can't seamlessly come into a new team. It's all scheme in football, 3-4-4-3 defense. So not as much as baseball or basketball, but we'll see some trades. Yeah. And are the Jets uh, pretty tied down by the Aaron Rodgers contract to, in <laughs> terms of their ability to respond to his injury? I got to I gotta say this. I really feel for Jets fans. I mean, in the past five years, they took the third overall pick in quarterback, Sam Darnold. They took the second overall pick in the draft. These are huge amounts of resources to take Zach Wilson. And then when that didn't work, they traded two second round picks, swipped, swapped first round picks, paid $75 million guaranteed for Aaron Rodgers, and of course, unfortunately, got hurt. Now they're back to Wilson reluctantly. There's no superstars walking in that door. They sign a kid named Trevor Simeon, a career backup. They're stuck with Wilson. And this is really an indictment on their scouting. You know, they this 
at this point, it's hard to say he can be the answer. And they built a great defense and they built some good skill players and the importance of the quarterback is going to prove through here. I don't see them winning many games with this guy. Um, and last one I'll give you. So the NFL, um, you know, they're they're all over the UK. They'll the Jaguars will be there in, in consecutive weeks, and um, you know they're moving in. They, they want to play in Spain. That looks like that's going to happen. Um, Australia and Brazil are now on the the maybe list. Um, is there any limit to the NFL expanding internationally, other than how many games they play, um, or, or is it they're just going to take over the world? Well, first, quick note on Spain: I was, I think we talked before. I was the first general manager of something called the Barcelona Dragons. Uh, they cheered at the wrong times. They did the wave the entire game. No one understood the sport. I would hope that'd be better for a one-game situation in Madrid, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, it's the most popular sport in America by far, but it's not the most popular sport internationally. It's way behind soccer and basketball, among other sports. And if they can get a foothold into these others, other areas, even for one game a year, that'd be great. But it's a lot of infrastructure. It's a lot to move. They've got London figured out. They've got Germany figured out. So the more, the better. But still... As much as we fall in love with it, Owen, it's a hard game for international audiences to understand, much more difficult to understand than basketball or soccer. And that's ultimately going to be a problem, I think, for mass acceptance internationally. Yeah, absolutely. It, it takes time. I was sort of, for some reason, like watching a game with fresh eyes the other day. And, you know, I was like, it, it's a very obscure game. <laughs> like, <Yes. you> know, <laughs> it's like, what does third and two mean? Why are they kicking the ball now? And like, what's these going penalties, like, he <laughs> right, wasn't yeah. lined up in the, in the covered up or, I mean, like, come on, I don't even, I'm a football nut. I don't understand that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll end on that note. We don't understand what's going on here. Andrew Brand, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure, Owen. That is it for today. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow.